All right, we're back. March, March seventh. Oh, too far, too far. Today's the fifth. Ah, you're okay. thinking into Sunday. You're yeah. excited for the NASCAR race. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's, I'm I'm thinking about it nonstop. I can't lie. <laughs> Premier League. I know that's what you're looking forward to, dude. Oh, Premier League's been awesome. Uh, Chelsea Liverpool played today. What a matchup that was. I know you're not a soccer guy. If you can watch Man City versus Man U on Sunday at 11:30, you want to talk about Chelsea versus Man U. This is like the next biggest thing because mm-hmm. I think what people don't realize about soccer unless like they really follow it. And I'm learning more as I go about relegation. I already knew that kind of stuff, but really what I'm learning about is teams that hate each other, how the ins and outs work for different kind of leagues like one thing i actually really enjoy it's kind of weird is watching uh bundesliga now on saturday mornings bundesliga will start at like 5 or 6 a.m on espn plus and teams just score the ball in the german bundesliga i don't know what it is but i really love uh watching soccer now ball moves faster in bundesliga it does can, can you imagine if they did relegation in american professional sports how fun would that be it would make it more entertaining because I feel like teams would want to spend and they would just find a way to get around the cap room kind of thing. But the craziest thing is I know MLS will probably come back, what, sometime in the next month or something like that. It definitely starts in April, right? Definitely has to. But <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to watch MLS because it's like watching NFL, NFL and then watching like FCS football. Sure, it's enjoyable, but yeah. it's not the same. Right. Well, my, my understanding of it, and, and you're right, I'm not a big soccer guy, but my understanding is obviously that the biggest talent in the big leagues in the world are European. And then sometimes when those guys are ready to retire, they'll come back over to the States just to kind of do a, a retirement tour. Like, I know that's what David Beckham did. And I know I'm going back a few years, but he was big in Europe and then came over to the Galaxy to kind of, bring the life to American soccer, even though he was pretty well done his career at that point. Yeah. It's also a big college basketball week. And we'll talk about that in weekend grab bag. There are some interesting games that do appeal to me, some that don't, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think I, I wouldn't say the addict word yet because there are a few sports that I'm addicted to, but uh, it, it's uh, becoming a passion. That's for sure. Hot take six. Do we understand? Plus a good interview. We can grab bag. It's a, packed friday show ryan but you know what i'm going to do over this weekend i'm going to listen to a lot of music trying to get myself in the right mindset for uh the grind that is march basketball in college something about uh listening to music puts me at ease and i've actually been listening to a lot of spanish music on my favorite service service amazon music i've been listening to bad bunny Bad Bunny. Oh yeah, Bad Bunny. I I um I actually still get a kick every time I hear his uh who does he do that commercial with? He does isn't it a Corona commercial? Snoop Dogg. He does it with Snoop Dogg. Hmm. That's the that's the one. That's where I know him from. But yeah, it's it's definitely a big music. I was on a big music kick yesterday, uh listening to a lot of different stuff. Actually, my uh my big thing is and I mentioned him on here before the band Architects. Uh their album for those who wish to exist came out last week. I don't know this yet because we're recording on Thursday and then Friday it'll come out, but they might potentially have the number one album in the world. 
which is kind of crazy that a rock or metal band could be there. Um, but hopefully we'll see that. I'm excited because one of my favorite bands is putting out a song next week. Uh, they're called Danko Jones, which is the name of the lead singer and the name of the band. So if you are into some rock and metal music, uh, Danko Jones is a, is a good one to check out. They're a little bit of a mood, but I'm checking that all out on Amazon Music. And that's where I'm listening to all my rock, my country, my Spanish music, my Latin American music, everything I'm checking out on there. But when you sign up for Amazon Music, sign up with the link get amazonmusic.com backslash to ryan sports to sign up today so again make sure you're signing up with that link you can sign up at get amazonmusic.com backslash to ryan sports listen to some bad bunny listen to some architects listen to some danko jones listen to some i don't know i'm gonna throw out an artist listen to some nas listen to anyone whoever you enjoy put them on a playlist find playlist catered for you but do it all on amazon music Real quick, I, fun fact I learned the other day. Do you realize the girl from The Grinch Stole Christmas, Cindy Lou Who, the actor, is Taylor Morrison, I guess is her name, is Taylor like, Momsen, uh, an extreme metalhead singer. Yep. Yeah. For the Pretty Reckless. I've seen him live. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I've always wanted just to just to add this on. And, and I know it'll never happen. But you mentioned that. And it's and it's funny because like you look at her and you're like, that sweet little Cindy Lou, what is she doing? Whatever. I've always wanted to be at a show where she just like comes out in her, like her stage attire, comes out, everyone's ready to go. And she just breaks out into where are you Christmas? <laughs> because everyone would sing it and you know, they would. They would. I've made, I would imagine though, she's probably tired of uh, being typecasted as like that, but oh well. Still making good music. Yeah. So Ryan's going to take the lead on Hot Take 6. Let's dive right into topics and uh, let's get this Pack Friday show going. Let's do it. So I, I know usually we have a little bit of a uh, split between the entertainment and sports side here. Um, I'm going to blur that line a little bit here because this is something that kind of relates to entertainment and sports. Um, my hot take is Space Jam 2 will be as good as the first one. And that is something that I'm, I'm interested to see. So I will tell you, I've, I've been out on the second Space Jam since it was announced. I, I just didn't feel like it was needed. It's, it's one of those things that we've, we've talked about a lot. We didn't need a reboot. We didn't need the second one. Why are you doing this? But I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm willing to give it a chance and see it through. Um, I think what might hurt it might be the storyline, just because I feel like the first one wrapped up fine for what it is a cartoon basketball movie where bill murray saves the day but whatever I, i'm willing to give it a chance we'll see how it works um again a lot of this is entertainment value too but i'm, I'm interested to see because it's starting to sort of leak out there i'll tell you what's not as good though is the jerseys the jerseys are not as good as the first one jerseys are trash as far as the storyline I can't imagine this is going to end up well. LeBron was pretty good in Trainwreck with Amy Schumer and Bill Hader, kind of surprisingly. But mm -hmm. I don't think he, even if it being basketball, like Michael Jordan, it seemed like work. A, he was on the top of the world in the 90s. B, it was a pretty simple movie. Michael Jordan has to save the Looney Tunes versus the Monstars. This one, I guess... The plot line is they're going to be taking a tour through the Warner Brothers Hall of 
uh, fame, if you will, <clears throat> and going through and looking at different TV shows, movies, or whatever, and then they get sucked in to a hole, and LeBron has to save the Looney Tunes, a la similar to the Michael Jordan plot. I hope they have better music because when you watch the first one back, it doesn't age well with R. Kelly being the soundtrack for that. The next thing is... Go but ahead. the Quad City DJ song is amazing. Yeah. The Space Jam song itself, yes, I agree with R. Kelly, but the Space Jam song itself is incredible. Yes. But the, the weirdest thing is I, I just, it, it doesn't look appetizing. I will watch it. I will watch it because it's going to go to HBO Max and the, and the theater release. So that, that attracts me to it. But if anything, it, it'll be a nice payday for LeBron because he's going to get commission on that, obviously, because he's the main lead actor in the thing. The one kind of interesting thing about the whole thing, if you look at the first Space Jam, Bill Murray and Wayne Knight were supporting cast because you can't really count Bugs Bunny and Don, you know, all the Looney Tunes supporting cast. But in this one, Don Cheadle is LeBron's supporting cast. So I don't know if he's like the villain or if anything. So it's kind of interesting to see Don Cheadle doing something like that, considering his projects are normally highly anticipated. Well, he was also the coach in bench warmers. So there's, you know, there is a, there's a, the, I always think of the, the uh, Carlos line. I am 12 from that, but uh, isn't it kind of convenient that every time that the world needs saved in the Looney Tune world with a basketball game, that they just happen to find the best basketball player in the world at the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no NBA. They just didn't find like Craig down the street. They're like, Oh, LeBron James is here. He's available. Right, Jimmer for debt from the uh, Shanghai Sharks is not walking in off the street anytime soon to save uh, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> but my first story, kind of a big one. It's a couple weeks old, but it it's, has been more recently updated, if that makes sense. So it's one of those stories mm -hmm. that continues to change every minute, every hour, and every day. It looks like negotiations are starting to lean unbelievably crazy starting to lean in ESPN's favor for ESPN plus Sunday ticket exclusive. That would be a massive game changer for them. The problem is when you look at Disney plus and their bundle, a lot of people have the bundle. We've talked about how they control the world, basically like their biggest villain Thanos and Darth Vader. <laughs> Ironically, both characters they own, but the crazy thing is even people who have the bundle, the bundle only has about four to five million, seven million in that kind of range subscriber base. So I, a lot of people do have the bundle, but how many people are subscribing exclusive delete at ESPN plus like that? Because I'm sure if they gave the numbers for the bundle subscription, I'm sure it'd be staggering. The, the crazy thing is when you look at the big picture of things, you would think Peacock and Amazon have the leading factor because Peacock has more of a subscriber base and they have sports channels. They've are, they're going to air the Olympics. They're, they aired a playoff game this year, a la simulcast with NBC. But it's kind of crazy, right? They air Premier League all the time, one of the most popular sports in the world for what it's worth. Now, you can't get Premier League on Peacock in Europe. Okay. But it's kind of fascinating that Amazon is not being looked at as the front runner either anymore by the NFL, that ESPN, because ESPN paid a billion dollars for one game where CBS and Fox paid 
1.5 or 2 billion for multiple games a Sunday. And NBC is their most successful broadcast. It, there's a reason it's been the number one primetime show since 2006. So it's kind of fascinating. Amazon's not even being looked at considering they do simulcasts on Thursdays. I think this is one of those situations where I completely agree with you that Amazon kind of feels like it should be the front runner. But I also feel like maybe ESPN is just pulling deep into their pocket being like, we're just going to make a ludicrous offer to make this work so we can have it. Because what what'll be interesting is, is and I know I would be one of them, or maybe not myself, but like my parents would be one of them because we have an ESPN Plus subscription, is because they live outside of the Pittsburgh market. If it's going to be basically an add-on to ESPN Plus, like like a UFC fight would be, essentially where you have ESPN Plus and then you pay like the what is it like fifty or sixty bucks on top of it. So if it's like similar to that, I think I think you do it because then you then you really only have that one place that you're like okay like we're we're watching it. it's here like we know where the games are going to be and I, I guess the other I think the other thing to consider is is what Directv's numbers are. Because I feel like it, it's certainly more expensive on DirecTV when you factor in the fact that you're using like the satellite with it and then that factors in cable. So it's more, I would be interested to see if a number is going to spike with ESPN Plus because more people would just be, you know, like a casual fan being like, oh yeah, I'll pay the, you know, 60 bucks a month to, to do that and watch the football games and all of them because and as dumb as it sounds, but like as betting becomes more prominent and legal, you can watch more games. Uh, fantasy sports obviously has that pool too. I, I know you can just watch the stat, the stats online too, but it makes it easier when you don't have to sign up for an entire cable package and you're basically just using an add-on with your already streaming service. I understand DirecTV's point of view as well that they don't want to pay the massive amount of money that it's going to cost for them to keep Sunday Ticket exclusively anymore, and other companies are willing to do that. When you look at DirecTV's business model, though, however. I'm not, you know, a world-class business guy, but I would imagine a lot of their satellite subscribers and people who still have satellite contracts are paying for NFL Sunday ticket. I would imagine, I would take a guess on that because Sunday ticket was a item built for bars in 9899 and then 2000 is when DirecTV bought Sunday ticket rights and was able to manage that deal and they've had it exclusively for we're now in 2021. It would be pretty fascinating if ESPN gets it because they already air baseball and hockey games, those kind of things through Fox Sports Midwest or whatever the network is. Mm -hmm. But this would be completely different. Fox and CBS are their competitors and CBS would be having their A-plus broadcasters, you know what I mean, going up on ESPN platforms like Tony and Jim. And you would have Joe and Choi you, you can't tell me ESPN wouldn't be a little jealous. I understand Steve Levy and the booth they have now are way better than the booths they've had in the last couple seasons, but it, it's a very fascinating turn of events, the way things are playing out. Looks like the deal could be done, according to the article, deal could possibly done be done by after the draft, sometime around May, where ESPN, if they keep their leverage on the whole thing, they could be the, the exclusive home for Sunday games on 1 and 4 p.m. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think that's going to, at least where we're from, I know that's going to affect people because of the basically the Pittsburgh market and how that works. But I mean, it's going to affect people all around the nation too. I mean, there's there's fans of every team in every state. So 
you would have to imagine that there's people that are, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a team, Giants fans in Colorado that want to watch games. So they're going to, you know, they're going to do that. And, and again, I think it makes it so much more convenient to have it in a place that you might already have, such as ESPN Plus. That way you don't have to pay the cable on top of it. Because like we talked about in the last episode, there's streaming alternatives when it comes to cable. So if the main thing you want is football, to have it right at your fingertips, that's easy. That just makes it so much easier. And I, I think this is going to be good for Sunday Ticket, personally. Yeah. All right. So the second one here, we're going to stick with basketball again. Uh, something we talked about, I think it was last week we talked about it, but it's kind of back in the news again. It's kind of not left the news in the sports world is NBA Top Shot the online medium for trading cards and the ridiculous prices that they're bringing in. Uh, just so you know, there was a recent sale of a top shot moment on that crypto platform for $200,000. So my hot take is, is we're going to see something reach a million dollars before the end of the year. We will see a moment reach the million dollars before the end of the year. I think what it will do is coincide maybe with the NBA finals, a playoff moment, something like that. Uh, for instance, like if, if uh, this was around and, and widely popular, like when Kawhi hit the game seven buzzer beater a couple years back and, and sitting in the corner, that kind of famous moment, I think it'll probably end up being something like that. But point is, is it, whether you like it or not, Top Shot's not going anywhere because people are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for moments to complete their collection. So there's no reason that you wouldn't see it go into the millions. Just for reference. A, an actual trading card sold for $4.5 million last week, a Luka Doncic card. So, again, I have no reason to believe that this crypto one won't go up into seven figures soon. That's the key phrase there, crypto, because the money is kind of not real in a sense. I don't understand cryptocurrency and Bitcoin but isn't it fascinating? It feels like a fad, but like you said, it feels like it could be here for a while. I don't want to, I did want to see what the hubba bubba was about. I can't believe I just used that word like I'm from the 1950s, but I did stand in line. I was like 120,000 in line for a simple Bradley Beal assist to, mm -hmm. I forget the player, jumper. I, I don't see the need to have that. I mean, and if anything, we're on the verge of the all-star break here soon. I would love to know how, what NBA players think about this because it seems interesting and it maybe it could be beneficial for them, but the NBA is a very innovative league. I just don't understand the whole ins and outs of the whole thing. Yeah, so other sports have something like this, and, and um, there's a trading card company that has an exclusive rights with football, and they have some other sports, uh, Panini, and it's called Blockchain, and that's kind of what this is, too. It, it's like basically the digital versions of, of those things, but the thing is, is, and I made this point a couple, whenever we talked about it, but like to actually collect cards and hold something is what gives it meaning to me, and it, it's just crazy to me that people are paying that much money to basically just own a moment in, in that regard. I, and I actually looked at it a little bit further. Top Shot's been around for a couple of years. It's just that it's just now gotten popular and very popular very quick. So I, I don't know how much farther this can go, but based on what I'm seeing so far, 
and, and don't misunderstand. I'm not some stock market. I'm not one of those people. I don't understand any of it. I'm just looking at what these things are selling for. And if they're selling for $10 and now some of them are selling for $200,000, I have no reason to believe that it doesn't go to the moon. Yeah. We're craving content. That That's what it is. People doing top shot and the stock market craze. By the way, the stock market craze, I'm not a stock market guy either, but it, it is crazy how insane that thing is still going right now. If you if you've followed mm-hmm. like anything like on any news site. My next hot take is, I don't care what people say. Wrestling's still entertaining. If, if you didn't see the clip last night, Shaq wrestled a match on TNT, wrestled a professional wrestling match. It was about 15 to 17 minutes. And in the clip, he stands on the outside of the ring. It's a mixed, mag, uh, mixed match tag team. And he's standing outside trying to wait for the tag. And Cody Rhodes, the chairman of AEW, uh, who started the whole company. I don't want to get into that right now, but it's a great story. Goes off the off the ropes, jumps in the air. Shaq catches him, and Shaq goes through the table. It's a pretty crazy clip. Ryan, I want a live reaction. This is bad radio, but I want you to see it right now because it is, it is insane here. So live reaction. So people who say wrestling is still not entertaining, stuff like that is entertaining. What people think could happen, though, is Shaq and Cody are friends, and it makes sense, right? They're on TNT, this wrestling show. Shaq works for Turner. They both are under Turner. So, And Big Show just went to this wrestling organization. People mm-hmm. finally think something they thought would happen a couple years ago in WWE will happen in this one. Shaq will face Big Show, who goes by mm-hmm. a different character name now, which... So, I mean, yeah, wrestling's still entertaining. They they, uh, they got to find different ways to, to stay innovative. I, uh, I I think back, you say Big Show, that brings back memories of watching wrestling uh, and playing wrestling games. Because, like, the PS2, you had, like, um, SmackDown, Shut Your Mouth, Brawl, Brawl versus SmackDown. There were a bunch of them, and I know they still have them. But I always like going through and just listening to the entrances because, like, that – yeah, I, I wish we had like entrances for our life because like we would have songs uh, like we talked about it with Andrea, like the exhilaration of it. Like, I wish I had an entrance song, but I digress. That's wild. But also, too. I'm thinking of another uh, personality. What what league is it? NXT that Pat McAfee is involved with? Used to. He is no longer. I guess they had not really a disagreement, but it was just becoming too much i guess so he's taking a long hiatus fair enough okay so but but i I guess my point still stands with it even though he's not a part of it is when when you get these and not that wrestling is not popular that's that's not what i mean at all when i say this but when you can bring these bigger personalities into these smaller leagues and kind of kind of sell that bill of it because Shaq's a big sell right people want to know what Shaq's on i i find Shaq very interesting personally and funny, so I like to follow him. People are going to watch that stuff. And people are going to tune into it. And the other hope that I think that this brings is that wrestling fans who may feel that the WWE has gotten stale or may not be as great anymore, they can find a new avenue that is entertaining and something that they want to watch. I, I don't think that transition of power would ever happen anytime soon because I think WWE is still king. Um 
when it comes to the overall wrestling scope, like WrestleMania is still a huge thing. I mean, you don't have to be a wrestling fan and you know when WrestleMania is because it's just, it's one of those events. But bringing, bringing personalities like that in to do it is interesting. Um, and Shaq and Big Show, look, I'm, I might actually tune in for that because that's, that has to be the two biggest humans on earth as far as like height and like weight that can actually fight, right? Like that's like the two biggest athletes in the world squaring off. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting way of putting it. I don't know if it'll happen, but everyone just assumes it will. And I'm sure they will. Wrestling is not like boxing, right? Where it may or may not happen. You can script things, although it was kind of funny. So Cody is like 205, I think, maybe 6'1", 6'2", tries to pick up Shaq for a just a basic body slam, and Shaq just kind of falls out of his arms, and it looks so sloppy. But that little clip of him falling through a table and being, you know, laying on the ground was pretty entertaining. You would think, though, that they would want to do that on pay-per-view versus cable, just basic cable but you know it got their one of the best ratings of the night like one of the two best ratings on television last night and hey look i mean Shaq is a very entertaining guy he had his own show on abc competition show where he faced former athletes and you know he's a very entertaining guy on the pregame show i mean they all are so it's kind of cool that you know he did something like that last night and i'm sure he'll be facing the big show sometime soon you just reminded me, you brought back a, like a weird memory of years past. I think it was on Spike. Do you remember the show Pros versus Joes? Great show. Very, very good early crappy realities TV 2000s. Michael Irvin was the host. <clears throat> I need to watch that again. I need to go back because I did that with the show MXC. I loved the show MXC. So I went back and watched a bunch of episodes of that. I need to go back and find old pros versus Joe's episodes because that's got to be up there. That's premium spike TV at its best. Also um, the dating show, uh, Joe Schmo, whatever it was, where it was mm -hmm. like a uh, fake dating show, but he didn't know it. Everyone else did. They were all paid actors. And then, oh man, this is as crappy as you can get, but it's really good. Crappy is um, the warrior show where they had like these hypothetical crazy battles between samurais and bike yes. TV. I forget the name of it, but someone reached out to me about that because that is premium spike TV. Didn't spike TV also have a show called a thousand ways to die. They did. They did. Yeah, I love that show. That show was crazy. State that, that is, that's premium spike TV. World's wildest police chases that, Oh man, I know that wasn't originally on spike, but like, that's what, like what the office is to Comedy Central, World's Wildest Police Chases was to Spike. You yeah. can turn it on at any time of the day, and you're like, "I'm Sheriff John Manel," and you're like, "Yep, that's I'm I'm home." Yeah. All right. So last uh, last sports take on my end here. I feel like whenever the Steelers are in the news, they always come into my hot take somehow. Big Ben's contract. Big Ben signs a contract that essentially moves his salary down to $14 million. Um, I, I don't understand how it all works with, with the salary and the, the pushing and deferment of money. I, I understand that there's a, a way that you structure it, and, and Pittsburgh has a, a very smart cap guru in their front office. Uh, but what I think this is actually going to do 
hot take is I think it's going to end up hurting the Steelers long term with deferred money. Um, it'll put them in a more difficult situation in the next couple years. Um, now, what I want to make clear here is, is that Big Ben was not the problem last year, in my opinion. Big Ben played a lot of good games. And, and after he got hurt, it started to hurt the team a little bit more. I don't think Big Ben was the issue with everything that happened those last, what, I guess, five games. I think what is happening, though, is, is Ben wants to give it one more run, and I respect that. I want him to come back and try it again. I'm, I'm on board with him having the contract. But I think the way that deferment is going to work with that salary will just count as dead cap in the future. So I think that could end up hurting them in the next few years. But at least for 2021, Big Ben is a Pittsburgh Steeler again. Take that for what it's worth, Steeler fans. I know that you Steeler fans are indifferent either really happy or really sad that that's the case, but that's your reality. Ryan, I'm going to have to pick with my heart here. So basically <laughs> big Ben coming back. Sure. I'm glad that Pittsburgh will get to see him finish his career as a Steeler. He's not going to have one of those awkward looking Jersey type, you know, Brett Favre in purple was weird. Brett Favre in jets was really weird. He's not going to have anything like that. But the, the biggest question is, where do they go from here? I think they have to. Mason Rudolph, yeah, he might be dating Jeannie Bouchard, one of the best-looking sports athletes in the world, but he's not the answer. So the, the next thing I think they should do is they should draft a backup in, in April. They need to groom someone for a year, and if two years under the deal, it was a two-year, right? I think it was just – I think the way – that it looks so it might be two years with the deal with the like deferred and the way that it all works but essentially what i'm reading is it's basically a one-year 14 million dollar deal okay so even one year you got to draft someone give them the the year of grooming just to let them learn because mason rudolph is a classic backup guy that people think could be good but he's not there's a reason that they went with duck hodges even when mason rudolph was not as banged up uh, over him the net the next thing is what kind of weapons does he have around him other than Juju? I understand TJ's on the defensive side of the ball, but what really weapons does he have? He has Juju. He has James Conner. It seems like the Steelers will find themselves in the playoff picture just because that's how things work out for them. But they'll either find themselves on the inside at a wild card or on the outside looking in. I'm very interested to see, though, how Big Ben plays because he's very injury-prone anyway, and it's kind of a running joke. But – he has a tough road ahead of him this year because he really went through a lot last year. And that was kind of uh, awkward to watch really and kind of depressing a little bit watching uh, him crying on the sidelines uh, when the Browns beat him. It was very awkward to watch. So I don't know where you go from here. I guess the only thing you can do is try to focus on the season, but it seems like it's going to be a tough, tough battle because Baltimore, I didn't believe in them at all last year. I still don't really think they have the pieces to win the division. I, I think they could make a wild card, but Cleveland, I'm trying not to drink the Cleveland juice too much, but man, they are so good. They are so, so good. They're a classic, like they, they remind me of a classic NBA young team that is in their prime and they're getting ready to start finding that window. It feels very Titans-esque where you watch the Titans and Derrick Henry was coming to his own. And you're like, oh, this team's going to be good in a couple of years. And sure enough, they beat Baltimore in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think Cleveland probably if, – if you asked me to do like a preseason ranking with that, I would probably pick Cleveland first in the North right now just based off of your returning talent and such and, and the way everything's shaking out. Uh, honestly, I don't even really think it's that hard of a decision to put Cleveland number one, which is crazy to say, but that's that's where we're at right now. Um, I think I think the biggest question for the Steelers rather than Ben is, is something you brought up. So the Steelers are – reportedly not retaining James Conner. Juju doesn't seem to be making any leeway with a contract. So what the Steelers are probably going to do is, you know, they're going to have to find a running back. And if that's Benny Snell, that's great. If it's Anthony McFarland, fine. They're going to have to get a running back in there. Chase Claypool is probably their best weapon, in my opinion, still there. Him and Deontay Johnson are, are great players uh, when, when they're catching the ball and they have those opportunities. But I also think inevitably the Steelers will find a receiver in like the fourth round and everyone will say, well, who the hell is this guy? And he'll be a breakout. So they seem to do it every other year. So I wouldn't worry too much about the Steelers uh, finding another receiver somewhere later in the draft. Yeah, that uh, it's annoying how that works out. for them. Um, so I'm going to kind of combine my last story into one. It's two separate topics, but I'd like to combine them in one. Is that cool? Let's do it. I don't have to choose. I love that. We're just going to do them both. So the first part of this is Elizabeth Olsen says last night in an interview with Jimmy Fallon tomorrow, tomorrow, and we're going to talk about this and we can grab back, but WandaVision, she basically says that this is a direct entry. We already knew it was, uh, if you follow really closely, but it's a direct entry into Dr. Strange too. And she's, she was actually, uh, last night when she was doing the interview, she was in London. So she, she said they're already like knee deep in like shooting. I'm not surprised about that. The second part of this entertainment jumble, if you will, jumbled crossword puzzle is on top of this, I want to talk about, there's a casting decision that just came out a couple hours ago. Edie Falco, who was Nurse Jackie, Sopranos, in a very terrible show on CBS called uh, Cops something. It, it got canceled after four episodes. I didn't watch it, but it, it was one of those CBS shows they try to shove on you every Sunday during an NFL game, and you're like, that. that. But no thanks. he's going to be playing Hillary Clinton in the new American crime story about the impeachment scandal. And I knew the impeachment scandal was gonna be done into a scripted series. It's finally coming in together with casting. But the last American crime story they did on FX, if you didn't see it, it was People versus OJ and it was the best television show all year. I remember being at college and people walking around being like, hey, did you see the People versus OJ last night? Like that's how great it was. And it was only a season, it wasn't like Game of Thrones. So I'd like to break both of those down because I feel like hot take here. They're both one vision is great. American crime story is going to be very great as well. So, I mean, I think the obvious here is one division will break Disney plus again. I mean, it, it, it's to the point now where we almost expect it. And, and I think Disney almost kind of expects it to the point where they're just saying, okay, whatever, just go for it. But, Look, I people are people are into it. All I've really seen on social media outside of Ben's contract today and my sports realm of this is that one division's finale is tomorrow. 
And I'm like, I don't even follow anything WandaVision to know that, but like, that's, that's where it is. it's, it's leaking into everything else. So go WandaVision. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I might, if I get a little bit of time to do it over the, the course of baseball season and such, I might dive into it if, if it really is that good and just see what it's about. Um, you know, I hope that I don't ruin it for myself being not like a big comic book guy, but you know, but one, the, the interesting thing, one thing that I do love is reality, like reality and crime, true crime. And even like the, the scripted part of that, like when it comes to, I actually didn't see the people versus OJ. Um, I actually deferred and watched the ESPN documentary on it because usually I, I go more with like the actual events and the happenings as opposed to like the scripted side of it. When it comes to that, I, yeah. And, and I do actually want to see the people versus OJ, because like you said, I've heard nothing but great things and I just never have got around to watching it. So look, I'm, I'm all in. If you want to do something true, true crime, true script, whatever it is, like based on that true story, I love it. I, that's the kind of stuff I love whenever it comes to reality um, and nonfiction events. That's what I'm here for. That's the kind of stuff I enjoy because you can look back on it in some degree and be like, wow, that's, this actually happened. This is, this is part of our history. <laughs> yeah. The, the documentary, by the way, was very well done. There's a reason it won the best Oscar for, for best documentary, I should say Oscar for best documentary of the year it came out, but it was so long like five parts and they were all mm. two hours. Like you could have, you could have easily cut that down. You could have easily, but I understand the way he did it was trying to give a backstory on the guy, but, and then mm-hmm. the show itself, people versus OJ, the way they attacked it was from the lawyer's side of point of view, because as much as it was about OJ, they attacked it from, okay, this is really about the lawyers and the team mm-hmm. OJ put together versus the defense team. So that's why it made it's so great. But WandaVision, yeah, look, WandaVision, it's um, it would not be shocking if it crashed the service. To, uh, it's kind of crazy. The whole thing, number one song in the world right now, I don't even know why or how, but the number one song in the world is a song from WandaVision. And I'm not going to give that away because people can look it up if they want to because it's kind of a spoiler, but it's the number one song in the world. Number one song. So I don't understand the internet sometimes but hey this is where we are and more power to them i remember so not too long ago i had somebody say because when it when I, i'm not like a i'm not a big tiktok guy like i don't just sit and scroll tiktok but i've heard somebody say in the past they're like so are the popular songs in the world on tiktok or does tiktok influence those songs and i'm starting to think that it's probably the latter because of something like that where it you hear something that's on a popular commercial because for instance think about like the uh the dog face guy from last year i know we've talked about him before yeah. a 15 second clip from dreams and in dreams is the number one song in the world again so I, I think it's the opposite way around but just goes to show you the pool that disney plus and apparently wandavision still have they control everything jumping into kind of movies a little bit a lot heavy baseball we have one of the most brilliant guys in the world. He, and we even talk a little bit about Survivor. And uh, that shouldn't come to a shock as anyone. He was on Survivor, and we know how much I've tried. We're, we're still trying to get me on there. But, no, David Sampson, great interview. I think what's going to be really fascinating for people to hear 
in this is his intelligence when it comes to not just baseball, but the way he feels about certain things. Yeah, he's, you can tell, obviously, just by listening. I mean, listening to him and just his podcast, even before this interview, um, you know that he's somebody that is is very passionate and very involved and, and very knowledgeable in these topics. So it's fun to talk a little bit of baseball. Spring training's in full swing and the opening day's coming up on April 1st. Uh, but also to talk a little bit of movies and talk a little bit of Survivor too. All around great interview um, and my line. I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it. And now our interview with David Sampson. All right. We now welcome on the host of Nothing Personal podcast, the former president of the Miami Marlins, Mr. David Sampson. David, thank you for joining the uh, Two Ryan Sports Show today. Uh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I think you probably fall into this category, too. I'm sure you do. But baseball season's right around the corner. So it's uh, it really is starting to feel like spring a little bit, a little bit of a normalcy for the uh, spring training schedule, right? It's funny. I was in the game 18 years, so I had 18 spring trainings. And you really get a baseball body clock where when the calendar turns to the new year, you start really getting close. The offseason's coming to an end. You're getting your roster together. And then February comes, and you're getting ready to go to spring training. For the first two years, I went south. For the last 16, I went north for spring training, actually. But uh, you just feel that, that rhythm. And then you get into spring, and then the games start, and then you realize you've got 30 spring training games in 32 days, followed by 162 games in 185 days. And you just watch the clock and you feel like it's early, it's early, it's early. And then all of a sudden it's the all-star break and then it's not early anymore. And then you're winding down. It's a very bizarre thing being in baseball. I'll tell you that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a grind. And, and you actually kind of lean into my, my first real question there with it. So uh, with the season upcoming, obviously last year was a little bit different with the shortened season because of COVID, but this season we're looking at doing a full schedule. So you talk about that baseball clock and, and how players and, and managers, presidents, everyone kind of has that, but how do you think teams, players, anyone will handle any interruptions this year? Because it's likely to happen, but how's that going to work in a, in a larger scale season? Well, I think the first thing you have to talk about when you're going from 60 to 162 is what's going to happen come late summer, what used to be called the dog days of summer, I'm afraid are now going to be called the injured days of summer because it's not good for pitchers to pitch 50 innings and then try to pitch 200 innings or 100 innings and then double it to 200 innings. That's how you get injured. And for hitters, I think they're going to be super tired when they get to 400, 500, 600 at-bats. It's a long grind of a season when you can't take amphetamines, when you're just doing Cuban coffee and Red Bull, it can really get difficult. So I think that that's going to be a bigger issue than the actual COVID interruptions. I actually think that with the vaccine, you know, President Biden today said he thinks that everyone can be vaccinated, all adults sometime by the end of May. So you're talking about after one third of the season, it's possible that You'll have a lot of fans in the stands. It's possible all players who want it will be vaccinated. So I'm hopeful there won't be many interruptions like there were last year. And that would mean no outbreaks. Once in a while, if there's a positive test, you have contact tracing, et cetera. But you've got larger rosters this year. So I don't think you're going to see any postponed games, or at least if you do, it'll be early and it won't be a lot of them. David, this is just really uh, a simple question. How shattered 
is the MLB owners and the uh, MLB Players Association relationship. It has to be the most damaged in all of the four major sports because of the way things took last season, getting such a long time to get a deal done. You know, I always heard that. I always heard that the relationship between the union and, and ownership was the worst in baseball. You know, there's been labor peace since 1995 in baseball. That's 26 years now. And that's a pretty good streak. But I think that you're right. There's a lot of distrust between the sides. I think that by definition, having spring training starting on time and the season starting on time is another example of a real problem that we're going to see because it would have made sense to do what they're doing in minor league baseball, starting the season a month late, playing 154 games, going into November a little bit. Because the more fans in the stands, the better. The more people vaccinated, the better. Because the more fans, the more revenue. The more revenue, the fewer losses that owners have. The fewer losses that owners have, the more money they're going to spend on payroll. So it really benefits the players. But there's such a level of distrust that, you know, the owners say the sky's blue and the players say, no, it's not. I, I look and see a red sky. And it's, and it's clearly a blue sky. And uh, the players say to the owners, hey, look, it's a... Uh, a thunderstorm and the owners say, no, it's not. It's just a hailstorm. I mean, God, those were two terrible examples, but it's basically saying two people looking at the same thing, coming up with two different things. And if that happens during the collective bargaining negotiations, I'm afraid there could be a work stoppage. Do you think that any of that from kind of last year trickling over into this year is, is kind of what you talked about in your first point, it, it kind of getting into that normalcy and that grind that players are used to because they're used to starting in, in February and March, and then really kind of moving through and kind of finishing up in October, November. So do you think that's them saying they want normalcy or is, is that a reflection of the, the labor union and, and everything kind of just going haywire? Well, the players did say we're too close to spring training to stop. Now we're ramping up. They said, there's nothing we can do. We can't ramp up and then take a month off and then start ramping up again. But that's not really accurate. It really was all about not wanting to give the owners an inch for fear that it would impact collective bargaining negotiations. I'm not sure that it would have led to any extra injuries, but I think it would have led to a better season in general. I mean, we're going to see how it plays out. We're going to hope that there's a labor deal without any sort of lockout or strike. And even if there is a lockout or strike, you hope that it's just during the off season and not and regular season won't be impacted. But again, it's one of the great wait to sees of uh, baseball in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I also know though, and I'm sure you know probably better than anybody that some of these players really get into their weird routines. And I'm sure there are some guys that are like, I, I really have to be there on February 26th because if I'm not, it's going to throw off everything. So I'm, I'm sure there's a little bit of that coming in too. So um, next thing here, David, I'm, I'm sure you can see on the screen here. I'm, uh, you know, we're kind of just fans of the game. We're not reporters of any sort. Um, I'm a Pirates fan. Now I, the Pirates have not really given me a lot of joy the last few years. It's been a little bit of a struggle. So how can you make me feel good about the Pirates? When, when can I expect to feel joy with the Pirates again and, and that roster turnaround? Well, that's a tough one. First yeah. of all, I, I would that say That doesn't this. make me feel good. You've had <laughs> a pretty good amount of joy, right? No World Series mm -hmm. since, I think, 79. I may be wrong, but that sounds right to me. When mm -hmm. the Pirates last won. They had a very good run, you know, in the Bonds era. Then they had another good run maybe five years ago, there was a good run mm -hmm. where they were really competing well. The rebuild has been tough and you guys really get on Bob Nutting thinking the owner of the Pirates that he doesn't want to win, that he's not trying. He really does care. And I've spent hours talking to him about baseball 
about the market, about winning, about revenue, about losing money. And just because an owner doesn't want to lose money on an annual basis doesn't mean he's either A, not a good owner, or B, doesn't want to win. But in order to be a small market, low revenue like the Pirates, and be successful the way, let's say, Tampa is, you need really good baseball people. And you need really good continuity. And you need good training of younger baseball people and let them sort of advance and go up the chain. You need to have a really good GM tree where people from the GM go on to other teams and become GMs, sort of the Andrew Friedman, Theo Epstein model. And I think, you know, Detroit is, uh, Detroit, uh, Pittsburgh's had some issues. There's no doubt about it. But on the other hand, it's not been all bad, right? If you look at the players they've had in the successful seasons, it's just bad right now. So I feel like you're suffering from a little bit of recency bias where yeah. you're taking the last few years and saying, oi, vey, it's been a nightmare forever. But I think that uh, if you really looked at it year over year, you would say you've got it better than probably at least 10 out of the other 30 teams. Well, I, I will say that those years back in the mid-2010s, those were some great years. The uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Neil Walker, pay, I mean, we can go on, A.J. Burnett, all those guys. But those were some great years. I, I kind of agree with you, though. I feel like it's starting to turn around back to, like you said, a little bit of a recency bias. When you get young players in there, it, it kind of feels like you have to develop them through the farm system a little bit and, and bring those guys up. And, you know, recently it looks bad trading away all of your best players, but I think anybody has to do that whenever you're building for the future. What was your reaction to the Chris Archer trade when it happened out of curiosity? Yeah. So at first it seemed very exciting because Chris Archer was kind of one of a high point. He looked like he was going up in his career. Um, but I will say that it hurt a little bit having to give up a guy like Austin Meadows and, and Shane Baz, actually, because he was still coming up through the minors. Uh, Tyler Glasnow, I, I feel like, struggled a little bit in Pittsburgh. But then it kind of comes out that some of that is due to the pitching coaches and such. And, and I'm not here to dog anybody, but um, it definitely could have went better. So initial excitement and then some, then some um, <laughs> resistance later. So just keep in mind that when you run a baseball team, you can't do it in the rearview mirror. There's no Monday morning quarterback and you make a trade, you bring in a player that was an aggressive trade and they lost the trade. That's the bottom line. It was a bad, bad trade. But at the time that was not the pirates saying, waving the white flag. That was the pirates right. bringing in a middle to high end of the rotation guy for two young players. And it's just as possible that Glasnow and Meadows wouldn't have made it. It really is. However, they violated a rule that we had, and we violated it sometimes too, but don't trade with the Tampa Bay race because the odds are you're going to lose the trade. They, they, seem to be the, uh, they seem to be the winners of all those trades. And, and of course, retroactively speaking, I, I would have to agree with you. David, switching gears from baseball, you're not just intelligent when it comes to baseball, obviously, but you're also a big movie guy. You're, you're smart when it comes to business. I mean, for our listeners right now, David actually has the uh, Wilson volleyball from Castaway over his right shoulder there. I want to ask you about movies, streaming, all that kind of stuff in a, in a one, one question. When you look at movies and the way things are from the last year, you know, obviously pandemic forced movies to go to a streaming model. Some are, are still doing that. But then you look at some theater uh, companies, excuse me, like uh, Disney, they're, they're still going to push Black Widow. Widow 
to the theaters on May 7th. I want to know what your opinion is on the movies and streaming model, the way things are taking shape, and especially stuff like when you have WandaVision, which has been so successful on Disney Plus to where it crashed a service two weeks in a row with 100 million subscribers. What's your take on the streaming industry as a whole right now, the way it's just taking off? So the streaming is a subscription is a subscription model, right? So you get guaranteed monthly income. And for that, you have to provide content in order for the subscribers to keep coming back and not cancel. The movie theater model is that you're able to widely distribute and release not just uh, um, in the United States, but really around the world. And the thought is that it used to be that when you're in a movie theater, you are, have a better chance of what's called a big opening weekend. The big opening weekend leads to a run in theaters. And the better the run in theaters gives you a better chance to maximize what used to be called the VOD rights, the video on demand rights. So do you remember back in the day when a movie got so badly reviewed or there were problems on the set and they said, this movie is going straight to video is what it was called. And when you heard a movie going straight to video, that was it, game over, it was a flop, it was an absolute disaster embarrassment. Then what happened is you had movie stars starting to do TV shows on streaming channels. So you'd have big movie stars, let's say Nicole Kidman or Reese Witherspoon. It used to be there were TV stars and movie stars. When the movie stars moved to TV, it changed the entire equation because movie stars were taking a lot more on the back end, which is great for the studios because they're only getting paid if it's a hit and if the movie studio makes money. And if the movie studio makes money on distribution, they're more than happy to give it to their stars. It's a way better financial model than giving them the money up front where you don't know how the movie's going to go. So once the movie stars showed a willingness to try to hit big and to have a willingness to go to these streaming services and a willingness to do a longer form movie, a 10 hour movie, if you will, which is what these shows have become, it really turned the industry on its ear. Then COVID came. And that sort of, in my opinion, shortened the slope from movies in theaters into streaming services, which was gradually happening. All of a sudden, COVID comes and it was, everybody was now on streaming. It was straight to streaming. Movie theaters were closed. And I think that is very indicative of what's happened during COVID in a lot of industries. We were going in retail. It was a much bigger focus online. And the big box retailers were struggling because people said, why do I want to leave my house when I can go online? Then COVID came and said, by the way, I'm never leaving my house because I'm not allowed to, but I'm going to keep going online. Now when COVID's done and we're all vaccinated, are we going to start going back to stores? I don't know. I don't think we're going to go back to stores the way we did. Are we going to go into offices the way we did when we can get just as much work done on Zoom even though there's no such thing as a phone conference call. Now everything's on Zoom. But will there be sort of a need to travel, you know, on, you know, and for business? Why would I spend a whole day traveling for a two-hour meeting when I can do a two-hour Zoom and save the company the expense of travel and save my body the, the price of travel, the cost sort of physically? So I think what COVID's done is really quickened the pace at which we're seeing change. And the movie industry is no different. You are seeing Netflix and Amazon 
and Hulu, all of these companies are craving one thing, and it's what you're providing right now to your listeners. They are craving content. So if you can find a way to have a voice, a singular voice that somehow, you know, it's what's going on with Nothing Personal right now. We, we, are, we have found the niche, and it's a niche in the podcast world that uh, I guess people were looking for because the show just has grown at a pace that CBS didn't expect, that I didn't expect because there's nobody sort of with my voice out there doing it right now. And for you guys, it's the same concept. If you come up with this voice that's different, you're gonna grow and grow and grow. And it's just a different sort of world in terms of how you'll get paid and what will be your platforms because all these platforms are simply looking for content. Yeah, and, and real quick to that point, you know, you talk about movies and how every it, it's going to streaming. But sometimes I find myself, as much as I want to watch a movie or a movie I've seen before, um, like a movie by Judd Apatow, Knocked Up, I, I watched the, the other night for the first time in like nine, 10 years. But most of the time I want to watch a show like Ozark with Jason Bateman and very scripted, long dramas that have great storytelling or a show like For All Mankind or Ted Lasso. I feel like sometimes I would rather invest more time in TV shows because it's broken up into increments versus a two and a half hour movie. Well, it depends what you binge, right? If you binge at Ted Lasso the whole season like I did, it's longer than a movie. By the way, Knocked Up has one of my, I guess I've never done a, a list. I have a top 100 movie list and TV show list and book list. I've never done a top lines list. But the line that Seth Rogen gives to Katherine Heigl at breakfast the morning after when she tells him that she doesn't smoke weed, he looks right at her and says, you mean in the morning? Yeah, that is a great line. <clears throat> Well, we'll need that next. That'll be your next project that you're working on as, uh, you know, not that you're involved with anything else or anything, but uh, uh, one one last question on my end for you, David, and, and this is going to take you back a little bit, but to talk about a little bit about the 2003 World Series and, and you know, kind of what what is that, what is that euphoria like to actually hold the trophy and, and be at the pinnacle of the sport? Because you know, we've, we've all kind of done it at some point, you know, a lot of us, I think Ryan and I maybe in the little league level, but at the major league level, it has to feel a lot different. So, you know, what, what do you remember about that? And, and what is that truly like? You know, I, uh, I'll tell you winning the pennant in Chicago was more memorable than winning the world series. We were down three, one facing Mark Pryor, uh, Carlos Zambrano and Kerry Wood. Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, and Kerry Wood, sorry, Zambrano, Pryor, Wood, and Order, down three to one. The whole world wanted the Cubs to make, Cubs to make the World Series for the first time in a very long time. And we won to get to a game six. We won game six to get to a game seven. And winning game seven, knowing that we had just won the pennant, that we were going to the World Series, that no matter what, we were going to coach in the All-Star game the next year. I thought of that while celebrating. No matter what, we were going to get a pennant ring, so I'd have a ring. It felt so good to celebrate in Wrigley. The World Series was not a letdown because winning that, uh, of course, I'll never forget. I guess I would say this. When you watch something your whole life, and you say to yourself that there is no chance that I will ever be able to experience that. And then you experience it. You measure it against what you thought it would be because you imagined it, right? I always imagined it. I used to watch celebrations every year for all teams. And I would always imagine what it would be like, never thinking I'd be in the game, never thinking I'd be the president of a team for 18 years, never thinking any of that. And then all of a sudden you do it and you're being interviewed on Fox Bud Selig's handing the trophy to the owner and you're thinking to yourself, if this ends, which it's going to, may I have the strength 
to always remember how it feels right now. And the problem is I didn't have the strength because as soon as it was over, we started planning the parade. And then we were trying to get a ballpark built. And then we were figuring out what to do with our roster. And I never took a minute, not even a minute, just to say, holy crikeys, that was the coolest thing ever. I relive it and I think about it now, but I never got to do what I really wanted. And that's to do it again. Because I promised myself, if I ever got to another playoffs or another World Series, I wouldn't be as distracted by all the things I was distracted by the first time, arranging tickets for family and friends and VIPs and figuring out logistics of travel and all the stuff that went with it. The month was a blur and I promised myself it wouldn't happen again if I ever got the chance. And one of my great failings is I never got the chance, but don't get me wrong. I look at that ring every day and I, and I look at pictures every day and I realize how lucky I was. Well, it's amazing you talk about the ballpark. That might be 20, 30 years down the road. I would love to see a documentary because I feel like at times, of course, you know, I'm not a Miami local, but I feel like at times that's cratered the city with the way that they've been burdened uh, with that ballpark. Um, so my last question for you is, look, you actually lived out uh, my dream. So first thing I did when I turned 18, I bought a scratch off and applied for Survivor. I've applied since I was 18. I'm now 26. You do the math on that. I will not stop applying. Tell me what the experience was. We actually just had a cast member on from Survivor uh, two, three weeks ago, and they, they think it could happen for me. I mean, I, I guess, you know, but um, tell me what the experience was like. You're, you're also, and I apologize, but you're also on one of the worst tribes, if not the worst tribe in Survivor history uh, in Kagiyan. Well, let me take exception to that because Spencer Bledsoe, and Tasha Fox and Cass McQuellen are really good players who, who really earned a good Survivor resume. Jatia, Garrett, and I struggled. Uh, Jatia, and, and by the way, we're all close to this day. I speak to everyone in the Brains Tribe. We have a text chain. We FaceTime. They were guests on Nothing Personal. It is a very bizarre experience where you are in a situation where you're hungry, you're grumpy, all of that is real. There's cameras everywhere. There's producers, there's sound people everywhere. You're paranoid as all get out. I don't ever say that expression. I don't know why I just did. You're paranoid as can be. And then before you know it, you're voted off. And you've been, I was thinking about Survivor since 2000. And I went on and taped it in 2013. And I wanted to be on it for 13 years. So you're only a year eight by my math. And I wanted to test myself as being a city boy. Could I survive? I wanted to know what it would be like to do those challenges, to see how the game is, to see what Probst is like, just to live the experience. Cause I'm an experienced junkie, I'm an adrenaline junkie and I wanted to do it. So I applied. One of the most common questions I'm asked is how did I get on Survivor? And I said, I applied. Literally, I put in a video and applied and I got a call back and I went to interview and, and, and I got cast. And I must tell you that I flew to the Philippines in, July of 2013, fully expecting I was going to win the game. And when I saw that I was about to be voted out and I knew before tribal council, it's sort of interesting how they film it and how they edit it. But I had a good idea that I had a problem before tribal council even started. And when I, when Jeff reads the votes, it's a pretty surreal thing. 
And I remember looking at him right in the eyes. He's about four inches taller than I am. He's snuffing my torch. And I was thinking to myself, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be a first boot on Survivor. I cannot believe how that's possible. And I didn't revel in it the way I do now, much like the World Series experience of 10 years earlier, where I couldn't live the moment the way I wanted to. Survivor, I lived every moment. I remember every moment. And I remember my torch being snuffed. I remember what we did at camp. I remember pre-show. I remember post-show. I remember casting every little detail in a way that I don't remember the postseason run. So I was able to learn from my experience of not being in the moment. And in Survivor, that moment when your torch is snuffed and you've worked so hard to, to, to be on the game and then it's gone like that, it is a humbling, humbling moment. So uh, I hope you get on because the mental strength required is far greater than the physical strength. The ability to understand your surroundings when you are being thrown curveballs by the production every five minutes and to have the ability to acclimate and to be around complete strangers all with a common goal it's really quite an amazing social experiment and i loved every minute of it if i had to do it again i wouldn't lie i told people i was the in marketing for the marlins i would have told them the truth i wouldn't have worn a blazer i wouldn't have worn pants and a ascot my my buff is an ascot and i certainly wouldn't have asked garrett to leave the tribe first thing i would have played it much softer than i played it but when the game starts the way I am running a team, the way I'm in life, I am 100 miles an hour from the first second. And when, when Jeff Probst said game on and he called on me, by the way, he knows the people's names. When he says you and the blazer, he knows our names. He's part of casting, obviously, but it's fun for the show. When he asked me to be the leader or when my tribe told me to be the leader, I would have fought a little harder not to be the leader. And if they said vote someone off, I would have voted myself off. So I made a lot of mistakes, but if the game goes so quickly, it reminded me of baseball. The reason players aren't successful at the big league level is the game goes so fast. We teach them slow the game down, slow it down, but sometimes you just can't. And those are guys who just don't make it. I could not slow down Survivor and it cost me. I, I do believe that, because I've become friends with some, some of the previous cast members, I don't think I could win. I, I don't know if I could get that far, but I do believe truly in my heart of hearts that I could at least get to the jury because I've watched enough since I was five when the show premiered and I've seen every season you know, multiple times. I just watched your Kagian season, I think for the second or third time, and it's now on Netflix. It's um, a really good season, I by the way. It's the best one. And I, I've studied the game like that. That is why I have 140 hours of vacation and sick time to use that when I get uh, cast on Survivor. Good for you. Well, keep going. Don't stop. There are people who apply for 10 years and then get cast. It's a dream that we're going to see out with Ryan for sure. But uh, David, as you go about your life and, and everything coming up with the season and obviously your podcast, uh, everything else you're involved with, your family. We hope that you continue to stay safe. I, I know baseball is coming around, so you're getting excited. Um, and for our listeners, be sure to check out David uh, on the podcast app with the host of Nothing Personal presented by CBS Sports. So, uh, David, again, thank you for jumping on the show and talking a little baseball and some movies and Survivor with us. And hopefully we'll talk to you again down the road. Hey, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, David.
David's a brilliant guy. I loved that interview. I, I know I say that line on the front half all the time when it comes to these interviews, but I loved that interview. And um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I just loved it. I love talking baseball, and you're right. Very, very knowledgeable in the movies, and he's really hyping Survivor up to you. Well, I think we've got to be more excited after that now. I think we all want me to be on Survivor. That's the <laughs> I know I do. Yeah. And I true I I will say this just like I did in the interview. I truly 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 believe. Look, I understand people the point of the, going on the show is like to win. That's I I understand that. Like I'm not a dummy. But I truly believe in my heart of hearts. I don't know if I can win. I do think, however, I can get extremely far and get to the jury, which is basically like the second half of the game. Right. Hey, I, it reminds me, it reminds me actually now, do you remember, you remember the show pressure luck? Yeah. It, it's like the old Wayne game, the guy that, that sat and studied the board and understood the pattern of it and such. And they were like, Oh, I can't believe he won $130,000. That's rigged. I'm like, he knew what he was doing. If you know how to play the game, I have no problem with it. So somebody who's obviously sat and studied it, you, you might make me watch Survivor. There have been multiple seasons. There have been seasons I've watched multiple times. I'm not saying like one or two times. Like I said in the interview, like that Kagiyan season, I literally just finished it again for like the third or fourth time, like a couple of weeks ago. So like I study the hell out of Survivor. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, ho hopefully – I, I, oh my goodness, I, hopefully. So I got a couple do we <laughs> stories here. Um, so do we understand Meghan Markle saying that, um, I, I forget the exact quote, I'm going to have to look it up here, but basically made people, the media and, and such made her to be out the villain. I didn't even see this story, if I'm being completely honest. Um, maybe that's just uh, how far I am, <laughs> how far I am disconnected from this kind of stuff. Let me let me Google this real quick. So here, here's the headline here. Meghan Markle says the royal palace had an active role in, in contributing falsehoods about her and Prince Harry. Uh, I mean, okay, so... I I am not going to sit here and be like, oh, I am an active conspiracy theorist and everything that the government tells us, because that's just not true. But I, I also think you have to be naive to believe that in any government, regardless of where it is, that things are not hidden to keep people safe and protected and such. So it's very possible that they may want to perpetuate something to say you're great i mean it's kind of a wild move to come out and say it because i feel like in some ways you're putting your own life at risk i'm, I'm sure you've probably heard the conspiracy theory about princess diana before yeah so you know that that could potentially fall into that realm but i mean i i understand wanting to to speak your truth on it because you feel one way and, and you you want that side to be seen but <laughs> again i i feel 
I feel bad because I didn't. I haven't even. I haven't even seen that story over the past twenty four hours. I guess that's. Uh, I guess that's where my mind's been with Big Ben's contract. Yeah, no, there, there's no way either one of us understand this story. That's why it's a perfect man <laughs> because right. family as a whole, unless I grew up in England or somewhere in the UK, I don't think I would understand the royal family in general. I just, it's, uh, it is, I think the biggest thing I don't understand about the whole story is what in the world is going on in Megan's head because other people have been married and into the royal family and never said anything and seems like I'm sure they might have problems just like anyone else does, even with, you know, best friends or loved ones or whatever. But it seems like she's always causing a ruckus. I, I, (laughs) yes, yes. She's definitely, definitely an outspoken member of that. And, you know, I, I think the, I, I, you're right. I don't understand the Royal family. Like, I mean, I know who, uh, Queen Elizabeth is that her name? That's that's how far I am away from this. Queen Elizabeth, and then what's the what's the guy's name? King Prince uh, something. Prince uh, William and Prince Harry. Okay, so the one that looks like he's like 157 years old, but he's actually like 98, which also makes sense. The her husband, whoever that guy. I, again, I I am not 100. percent World politics is not my strength. Um, but yeah, she's definitely the outspoken person of this group. She definitely is, uh, she's not afraid to cause a ruckus, as you say. I, and I kind of like that, but I also, you know, maybe, maybe there's times that it's better to keep your mouth shut. I, I don't know which, I don't know which side of the line this falls on here, but there's, um, there's definitely something to be, this will, this will not be the last that we hear about this. <laughs> No, it will not. By the way, live uh, reaction. We got the battle for the Dakotas going on. FCS football in March. We have 2-0 North Dakota versus South, uh, South Dakota 1-0. 7-3 right now for the uh, North Dakota. I don't even know what their names are. But, yeah, we're, we're uh, FCS football live. Um, that, that's where we are with things. I kind of like watching college football in, in spring. Even with the FCS. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the thing the the thing about FCS is is I mean I realize that it's FCS for a reason. It's not like Alabama, but there's also a lot of talent there. I mean, there's a lot of good players that have came out of FCS. I mean, you should know better than anybody how much you love Carson Wentz. <laughs> break, man. Give it a break. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that might be the joke. Uh, uh, <laughs> For, for the one that I did uh, earlier uh, on you. But no, uh, so my next do we understand story, I have no idea in the world what this is. I want you to just think of the craziest thing you can think of. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. The world's first space hotel. Let me say that again. The world's first space hotel to open in 2027 a hotel outside of the Earth's orbit will supposedly be opening. Look, we can't build a base on the moon, but we're going to build a hotel outside of the Earth's orbit. That can't be good for anyone. And you you must have to have extreme top 1% to even afford that. Okay, so my my thing is, is whenever I whenever I'm staying in a hotel, there is a reason that I'm staying in the hotel, right? 
I am going somewhere. Like um, I think of like for work, we travel a little bit. So like I'm in a hotel, like I have to stay overnight. That's why I'm in the hotel. When I go to a concert, when I go to like my festival that I typically go to, I stay in a hotel because I stay overnight. I do those days. What the hell am I going to do if I stay in the space hotel? Now, <laughs> I, I understand that it's cool to be in space and you're like, wow, this is this is a lot of things that I would have never seen before. I understand that. But it's not like I can leave and sightsee. I basically just have to stay in my room and sightsee and wait for John, the astronaut, to come get me and be like, all right, time to go home. There would have to be training involved in that, right? Like you wouldn't be able to just go into the hotel and check into the room, right? Like they would have to train you on how to adapt to the environment or the atmosphere. Yes. It would have to be something. It, it wouldn't be like going to the Marriott Inn and checking in at room 212 and going down for room service. And that's another thing. Let, let's not forget about that. What kind of food are they going to have up there? They, they would have to be military type, type like ready meals. Room service is going to suck at the space hotel. You're like, I want to order a hamburger. They're like, you are out of luck, my friend. Well, there is no continental breakfast. Please do not come to the lobby or your head will explode. The scenery would be nice. I mean, you talk about a lakefront or an ocean view room. I mean, there's nothing beating a, a room view of like the moon or earth. I, I mean, I would imagine that would be awesome. I don't doubt that the, that the optics of like being in space are very cool. I have, there's nothing, again, like when I stay in a hotel, I want to go somewhere, but typically the optics aren't great. Like whenever I stay at a hotel in Columbus, I see the freaking highway. It's not like it's, you know, another, oh, there goes another Honda Accord. Like it's not, it's not going to be like that. Yeah. Well, you're right. Like it, it's going to be Elon Musk staying up there with Jeff Bezos. I mean, it's who else is going to be able to afford this? And you're right. It's got to be, there's, there's so much wrong with this. And uh, I don't know. Can you imagine if you need an extra towel? Oh, that would have to be the worst. Who are you going to call? A maintenance issue. That would be terrible. Like, like if there's a maintenance issue with like your plumbing or electric in the room, that would, could you, you, you know, sometimes you have to wait hours in a normal hotel for those things. Could you imagine the time constraints on being like, Hey, my light bulb is out. They were like, yeah, so is everybody else's. You're just going to have to deal with it. Um, no, it's it's a definitely, we do not understand this type of story. I, I, I'm so curious. Like, you can't build a base on the moon yet. Like, an actual base, like, to have at NASA stationed up there. You know what I mean? Like, an actual NASA type of type of base on the moon, but you're going to build a hotel. It, it's, uh, it's all very fascinating. What's... Uh, What's a do we understand story on your side? Okay, so this is just this is just kind of weird to say. Um, so I think it was two days ago on Wednesday. Uh, one of the most popular tweets of the day was simply that Chuck E. Cheese died. Did you happen to see that? The mouse or the, or the restaurant business? The mouse. Okay, cool. I, I didn't see that. It wouldn't surprise me if it was about the business side of things because I don't think there's a Chuck E. Cheese or Blockbuster that exists anymore. So what it was, so I actually had to do research into it because it was very funny just to like log on and, and 
it on Twitter, you know, you see like the popular tweets, like five of your friends liked it. So you see it because it's popular. Uh, it was one of those type deals. So it's like someone and so many others like this. And the tweet literally just said, Chuck E. Cheese has died. And so I go to the account and I'm like, this is absurd. And it's basically just this burner account, just tweeting weird things about Chuck E. Cheese. And it's only been active since January 21. So it's about, it's about a month-ish old. And more or less, they're just like, we apologize to our patrons at the Scottsdale location. The pizza maker blew up. Like, it's none of it's real. But like three, 400,000 people were like this tweet that Chuck E. Cheese died. How did you? How did everyone find this? Where Where does this come from? I don't understand. Oh, I thought I had a good. Do we understand stories? That is a crazy one. I I don't understand Twitter at all. Sometimes I mean maybe that's why I deleted it and I only use our Twitter. But sometimes I don't understand Twitter in general. I Chuck E. Cheese should not be mentioned in 2021 unless. It's the stock market craze that everyone's going through. And they're like, I'm buying Chuck E. Cheese stock. Like, there's no way that, you know what, live reaction. I am going to Google right now while you're going through your point. If Chuck E. Cheese is still in business is. Did you ever, did you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? I know we don't have one locally, but like, did you ever. Okay. I do actually remember the pizza being good. Maybe that was just like eight-year-old me being excited to play skee-ball all day. As of October 2020, Chuck E. Cheese closed 47 stores due to the pandemic. But they're (laughs) – what a quote. Uh, We're not in the business of closing locations. (laughs) So they're going to stay open uh, regardless with the animatronic uh, band on stage. So my question is, is when you close 47 stores, is that like 47 out of 50 or is that like 47 out of 5,000? Because that makes a difference. It, it really does make a difference. I mean, and now that I'm thinking about it, I think there is one blockbuster left and I think it's either in Oregon or Alaska. And I believe you can rent it out as an Airbnb. I kind of love that though. I have no, like I going to Blockbuster on the weekend was like one of the greatest feelings in the world when you were a kid, because I always remember going to, uh, I, because you know, I'm not a big movie guy. When I was younger, I did enjoy video games. So I would like always go to pick out like a new N64 PS2 game whenever that was popular, just to show you my acumen of video games and how old Blockbuster is and how old we are. Um, but to to log on to Twitter and to see that Chuck E. Cheese has died was a um, was quite a wild moment for my Wednesday this week. I not not something that I didn't really expect to see. It's such a crazy thing to probably look in the middle of the day. By the way, talking about uh, games real quick, you see the new feature in MLB the Show. I fo- follow the MLB Show account, and uh, it was a pretty cool video they tweeted today you will now be able to create your own ballpark. Something I always wanted to do in MLB the show. So I can't wait to uh, fire up the, well, I'm going to have to get an Xbox but, <laughs> again, but I'm going to get the Xbox for MLB the show and, and get back on my sports video game kick. Cause that was awesome to see. Oh yeah. That's, that was honestly. So like, I know people joke about it all the time, but honestly, 
I always enjoyed like the creative stuff more than I did actually the game sometimes whenever it came to stuff. And now if it was done right, um, it, like one of the weirdest quirks in a baseball game that I can remember, and you're, you're probably going to laugh at me and I'm fine with that is in all-star baseball. I think it was 2004. Uh, there was two things that I really loved about that. You could like buy trading cards and like, that was cool to like, Oh, it's like those cards on that, but you could also play like pickup baseball games. Okay. So it would just take like ran, uh, 18 random players from the game. And it also had like legends in there. So you would be like, okay, so you can pick uh, Luis Castillo uh, or Babe Ruth. <laughs> I think I'm going to take Babe Ruth. And you could play in a freaking cornfield. So, so ba- like that was wild. Um, seems like backyard baseball. Because By the way, Pablo on backyard baseball – He's one of the goats of all time in any sports video game. Sad he never made it to the majors. Yeah. Only got to trip away. So we can grab Do you it. have another? Oh, I have another. Do you oh. understand? This this is one that I think you probably saw and, and will be relatively quick. But uh, I really probably just only have to say the three words I have on my card here, uh, which is Baker Mayfield UFO. It was odd. It was so so strange. It was – I'll tell you what. I I wouldn't be shocked if he actually did see a UFO because I I think we've all had, like, weird encounters before that were like, what what actually just happened? Like, we we all have those moments that are kind of strange and weird. But it's just very funny coming from a professional athlete because if I tweet that, people are just like, oh – you know, that's just the kid from down the freaking street who works, you know, like he's a nobody, but like Baker Mayfield. Now we have, now we have somebody who believes in aliens that is much more famous than us. So if the alien train wants to keep going and they want to stay in the space hotel to track them, we are gaining ground here with people like Baker Mayfield on the alien train. I hope we interview Baker at some point because Baker should, Baker strikes me as the guy that when you're sitting at a bar and you and him are just trading stories and you're drinking, Baker looks at you and goes, bro, one time I was in this field. <laughs> I could have swore I saw this, this light flashing by me and it was, a, it was a UFO. And, and that's the moment I knew I believed in, in aliens. Like Baker strikes me as that guy or the guy at the sports bar that like is watching the game and he's just sitting there drinking beers in his own little box, not even recognizing anyone else. I wouldn't even maybe know it was Baker Mayfield that I was talking to. I would just be like, oh, yes, this man is talking to me about UFOs and in, in um, sports page downtown Morgantown. And you're like, oh, that's Baker Mayfield. Ah, um, even more interesting. So my weekend grab bag, there's not really a whole lot. Uh, the Wisconsin-Iowa game on Sunday, very exciting. There's tournaments going on all weekend, low kind of tournaments with Horizon League and and uh, the A-10, I believe, starts this weekend as well. But um, the biggest thing for me this weekend is probably UFC on Saturday. Three title fights, Israel, Stylebender, Adesanya, making the weight from 185 to 205. That's a massive jump. He thinks he'll weigh in at 194 on Friday today when you're listening to this. So big weekend, plus uh, Amanda Nunez, the GOAT of women's MMA of all time, 
will be defending her title. And then Peter Yan, um, that's a mercenary right there. Peter Yan in his division, that's a, that's probably the toughest division in all of mixed martial arts, Peter Yan's uh, 135 division. And he's going to be facing Stone Cold Killer and himself, Aljamain Sterling. So big weekend in UFC, but uh, not really a whole lot on my weekend grab bag. Yeah, so uh, NBA All-Star Games this weekend, is it not? Uh, I think maybe. I mean, I know the Knicks are play- getting ready to play here soon, so. Okay. Um, I thought I saw that it was this weekend. Maybe I was mistaken. I thought I saw that it was uh, Team Durant and Team LeBron playing on Sunday. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't necessarily get hyped up for All-Star Games in general. Um, I just know that that's something that, people look forward to it. I guess the NBA does have a little bit more of a presence because of like the dunk contest and stuff. Yeah. Sunday. So it's cool, but same time, um, some of the bigger hockey games that I circled, um, Pittsburgh and Philly play again on Saturday, uh, Washington and Boston on Friday. I, I found it tougher this year with hockey to kind of being a fan of, of one team to kind of see outside of the division because you're only playing the same seven teams. So, like, I'll, I'll be honest, when it comes to hockey, I couldn't tell you how many other teams are doing. Like, that's just crazy to me that, like, other teams are even playing because I just feel like we're in this, like, bubble almost of, of seven teams. There's seven other teams just playing around Robin. So, it's, it's kind of wild, but uh, Tampa Bay and Chicago play on Sunday, too. Always, uh, always a good one. Uh, Las Vegas this weekend for NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR goes to Las Vegas. Um I, I figure at some point, though, it's got to be one of the more popular drivers, not necessarily popular, but um, the bigger drivers that win. Last week, William Byron run, won at um, – where did they race? It doesn't matter. But he won – oh, Homestead. He won his, I think, second career ever race. So a first-time winner, a first-time winner, and a second career winner. you got to figure someone big wins this race. Uh, also, on my random game of the week, uh, just so you know, UAB and North Texas play each other on Friday and Saturday in college basketball. So that's on ESPN plus. So check out some UAB in North Texas. Uh, my cousin is a, is a graduate of UAB for her uh, doctoral program. So let's go, uh, let's go Blazers. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, let's, I mean, what a prediction. I mean, by the way, we didn't talk about Premier League, huge Saturday and Sunday, Bright and early on Saturday morning, Eastern time, 7 a.m., get your uh, cup of coffee and donuts ready for that. That's uh, going to be Arsenal and somebody. But uh, <laughs> it's a, Arsenal and the team that they play. Yeah, Arsenal and the team that they play. But uh, And then, obviously, man, you, Man City Sunday, but a lot of other action as well. So, but Ryan, if they want to listen to all of our episodes, if they want to follow us, how are they going to do those things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, find us on Apple and Spotify for the actual show to Ryan Sports Show on Apple and Spotify. If you are interested in following us on social media, which I'm biased, but I would highly recommend follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at to Ryan Sports Show on all of those platforms. So, again, to listen to the show, find us on Apple, find us on Spotify, but to get all the latest updates about the show. Find us on all of those social platforms. Again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at 2Ryan Sports Show. That's where we're at. And we'll see everyone on uh, Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody.